Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good day. I'm John McCaskill, your host, and thanks for tuning in to the Veterans Path Podcast. This podcast is just a piece of what we do. Veterans Path is actually a nonprofit working to introduce veterans and active service members to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can rediscover a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of Veterans Path, increase attendance at our retreats so we're able to help more veterans, and finally, to reduce the stigma around mindfulness and meditation and seeking mental health support. Listeners and viewers, if you're enjoying the show, please give us a review or a like and share the show with anyone and everyone you think could benefit from our message. Also, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Hello, today I'm so very honored to have as my guest, James Barris. James has been a meditation teacher since 1978. He is a creator and teacher of the Awakening Joy course and is the co-author of Awakening Joy, 10 Steps That Will Put You on the Road to Real Happiness, the book based on the course. James is the co-founding teacher of Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Woodacre, California, and he leads retreats, workshops, and classes in the U.S. and abroad. And we're going to learn a lot more about James here on today's episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. All right, welcome back. As mentioned in the intro, my guest today is meditation meditation teacher and author, James Barris. Sir, welcome to the show. Really good to be here with you. Um, you're in Berkeley, California, right? Mm-hmm. Right. How is, uh, how is everything going for you out there right now? Well, Berkeley is... <sighs> is one of the best places uh, I could imagine to be right now. Um, the, it's a place where there's a whole lot of consciousness and a whole lot of care. And um, the Bay Area is, uh, has great weather and also um, a lot of cooperation from everyone. Um, and we're involved in a few projects with this virus uh, thing that um, with our community that's that's really uh, been inspiring and turning helplessness into uh, a feeling of contribution. So um, I've been enjoying being here in so many different ways. Fantastic. Um, in, in the intro, I mentioned your teaching meditation starting in 1978. Um, what originally brought you to meditation and how did you journey to becoming a teacher uh, how did that journey unfold? Hmm. Well, as often happens, people are drawn to meditation or drawn to um, look for some kind of answers out of their own suffering. And that was certainly true of me. Um, I was very insecure, didn't like myself very much, had a pretty good life on the outside, but um, had a hard time looking in the mirror without wincing and um, and going through the 60s, uh, I, there were some understandings that there was something more than, uh, than getting as much as you can and being a success. And um, when I discovered meditation, I read a book actually that many people in my generation um, read that changed my life called Be Here Now by teacher named Ramdas who passed away uh, in December and that book gave me the possibility that um, there is goodness inside that we can access and learn and uh, I went out to uh, in 1974 
Ramdas was at this kind of uh, spiritual summer camp called Naropa, and he was there, and I wanted to meet him, and I asked him about meditation. I'd been doing actually TM, uh, which was big in those days. The Beatles were into TM, and I figured if it was good enough for John Lennon, it was good <laughs> enough for me. So I, I did TM for a few years um, and found it helpful, but I was looking for more. And uh, when I had a chance to meet with Ramdas, who became a major teacher of mine, he said, go, go check out this kind of meditation, this mindfulness meditation. Uh, and this guy, Joseph Goldstein, who became my teacher. And as soon as I heard him talk, I said, oh, I think I found what I was looking for. And uh, I just, I was motivated by my own suffering, which often uh, makes one that much more committed. Uh, and I did a lot of retreats, learned some practices and principles that really made a difference for me and just wanted to share it with others. And that's how I was on the path to being a teacher. You use the term mindfulness meditation, and I know in this day and age, we have people using mindfulness, the term mindfulness, and they use the term meditation almost to where they're being used interchangeably. Mm -hmm. um, what, to you, what is the difference between the two and what is the definition of each? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, mindfulness is simply knowing what's happening right now in the present moment, as I often say, just being present for your life. If you're sitting here and knowing you're sitting, if you're walking, knowing you're walking instead of getting lost in your, your thoughts, but it's knowing what's happening without wishing things were different, but first seeing what's actually here and training the heart and the mind not to get attached, to grasp onto uh, the pleasant experiences and not to be afraid of touching the unpleasant experiences, but to realize that we can be here for everything. And then every moment of, of, of life counts and can, can teach us and awaken us. So the, very, the, the basic principle of mindfulness is just like that book, Be Here Now and know what's going on. The meditation, mindfulness meditation, is a, a formal kind of um, practice of mindfulness. That is at least the mindfulness sitting meditation uh, where people think of going inside and being with your internal experience. But really mindfulness can be applied anywhere and it can all be done in a meditative way, drinking a cup of tea or running or shaving, which has been a, which I didn't do today, but which has been, uh, been a mindfulness practice of mine for decades. So it's just knowing what's happening. Yeah. Nice. And the, the formal meditation is a very special training ground for you to see how the mind can grasp at thoughts and how it can just let them fly by. And the more you practice it, in that formal time, the more it starts to um, become uh, generalized into all of your life. Excellent. I think that'll clear it up for some people. Mm -hmm. um, in practicing, some things can bubble up to the surface that you may not have dealt with before or processed before. What are some cautions that should be taken upon starting a practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah not only sometimes can usually do uh, because we're so used to distracting ourselves, um, numbing ourselves out or um, just looking externally for something that's going to, we think is going to make us feel better. And not that I'm against that. I have my own favorite Netflix series and, uh, and have my, you know, my own uh, diversions, and they can be healthy. But if, if your life is only about distracting yourself, so you're not in touch with what's really going on, which often includes a lot of um, unprocessed uh, confusion or habits of mind or pain, then when you stop and don't distract yourself, 
often that's part of the process. It's not the whole process, but it's part of it that feelings come up uh, of past hurts or sadness or traumas or um, as well as beautiful memories and understandings. The whole show comes up. And as you're asking that question, it's important to know how to work with, uh, with the difficulties when they come up so that they're not overwhelming us. What I call uh, titrating our suffering, just knowing what our limits are because we can misunderstand and think that the way to do it, to really be mindful is to just open up and feel everything no matter how intense and how painful it is when there might be some past traumas. Um, and I, I know, you know, we're, we're talking, I'm talking with you on this veteran's path and um, I have so much respect and uh, appreciation for, for people who've put their lives on the line and there are consequences that come from that um, when they've experienced real danger. So it's one of the one of the important principles is just knowing how to know what your limits are and also hold how to hold those feelings when they come up. Um, and there are a number of different techniques uh, which I'm happy to to share with you if you're interested. Absolutely, yes, please. Well, one that um, I often these days share with, uh, with people when they come on retreats, whether or not they've had, they've been a veteran or have had um, um, intense things happen to them, there's stuff that comes up for most everybody. And so one very simple, very powerful, effective practice is called uh, the self-compassion break. And this is from a program put together by two um, psychologists and researchers, Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer, who are meditators in our community um, that have done a lot of research on the power of bringing kindness and compassion to those places that are hurting and have been wounded inside. So, and they have a, a whole program that's very complex, but the most uh, very comprehensive, I should say, uh, and very doable, very accessible. But the, the essence of it can be in this one exercise that I teach to many people. Uh, it's very simple and powerful called the self-compassion break. And it, if you'd like, do you want me to share it with you? Please. Yes. So it, uh, it involves four different elements, and this is very, it's not so hard to remember, um, and I'm happy to write it out for you, and you can share it uh, afterwards. Um, the first, the way I do it, um, is to calm down the system physiologically before you go to certain reflections. And one simple way to calm down the system is a tender touch. And this might be you know, a stretch for some people. Uh, they recommend, and I find it helpful, uh, to have that touch be uh, on uh, just putting your hand on your heart. If that seems a little bit awkward for people, you know, you can... You can kind of hold your hold your head your head in your hand, or you can give yourself a hug, and nobody knows that you're really giving yourself a loving hug. You know, you can just kind of be sitting there if you're with other people, but somehow giving yourself a hug. And this has been shown, particularly touching the heart, it um, it releases oxytocin in uh, the body, which is a kind of a feel good. Uh, hormone, and it stimulates the vagus nerve. This is a compassion nerve. So, you know, if you're watching this, if you're watching this uh, at, at home, uh, you might just try this and see 
first how it feels just to give yourself a, a, a comforting touch like that. Okay. And just feeling that tenderness right inside. Your body doesn't know that it's just you. Just that tenderness releases that comforting response. And then there's three reflections that they suggest and you can customize it so that the words fit for you. First is to just acknowledge that their, their phrases, oh, this is a moment of suffering, but you can say something as simple as, oh, this is hard right now. And just to acknowledge that is very powerful because you're moving from that activated sympathetic system to the parasympathetic and you're just naming it with awareness. This is hard right now. This is suffering. And then the second reflection is seeing that you're not alone. They, they say, oh, suffering is a part of life. I sometimes think of saying, oh, I'm not alone in this. And you might think of all the people in the world right now who are experiencing what you are, whether it's pain or hurt or fear or worry. Oh, I'm not alone in this. Or this is part of life. And then the last reflection is to send some kindness to yourself. A phrase like, let me hold this pain with kindness and compassion. May I bring kindness to myself right now. And as you do that, there's the one inside that needs the comforting, that's frightened or um, dysregulated. And there's the wise one that's also part of you that knows just how to hold him or her or them. And it's a kind of coming into wholeness where your wise self holds that wounded self. And I'll be quiet and then just let yourself feel that. This is suffering, or this is hard. I'm not alone in this. This is part of life. Let me hold this with kindness and compassion. Okay, and then when you like, you can come back, open your eyes. How is that? Definitely the most relaxed I've been on one of these recordings. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was fantastic. I liked it a lot. Just definitely tapped into the, the parasympathetic nervous system. And I could, I could feel with my hand on my heart, my heart rate slowing down, my respiratory rate slowing down. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I weren't recording, I'd probably go take a nap right now. <laughs> I feel very, very relaxed and light. So. Isn't that amazing? It, it just takes a few moments and your body responds to that tenderness. And, you know, so many of us feel like, you know, we've got to tough it out and just meet the moment and we'll get through it. But just like a little child, we are all little boys and girls who had tantrums some at some point. And if, you, if you've been around a child having a tantrum, if you say, come on, get it together, kid, that's not going to calm them down. What do they need? They just need to be held and say, it's okay, I'm right here. And then they start to relax and calm down. We're just little boys and girls in big bodies. That's the way I see it when we get dysregulated. And we can do that for ourselves. I like that. And that's uh, very apropos as I've taken to recording from home. And I've got a three-year-old little girl downstairs and a one-year-old little boy downstairs. And uh, I've definitely seen uh, and felt both sides of that when they're pitching a, uh, you know, a little bit of a tantrum. And I am not 
in the right frame of mind to mm-hmm. deal with it as I should. And I tell them, Hey, you need to, you need to calm down. And the calming down doesn't happen. Um, and then if I do just show them compassion, then the, then they do calm down. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's pretty powerful to, to see that actually happening. Yeah, actually, one, one thing before we go on, I can share just uh, that, that's apropos of that. When my son was three, he's now 33, um, towers over me. Um, and, uh, but when he, was, when he was young, and he would have a tantrum most every day. And, uh, um, I, you know, as a three-year-old can. Do you want to, do you want to get that? Or is there somebody? Uh, yeah, just it? one second. Sure, sure. sure. Uh, one of the beauties of filming and, uh, and recording from home is um, that real life comes into it. It's very authentic. Uh, and mm-hmm. if, uh, if you could see behind the computer right now, um, <laughs> we are in the middle of a move. And I was talking about uh, my, oh my three-year-old and my one-year-old. We're <laughs> moving from a house into a small RV. Uh, so my wife was just up here uh, oh. trying to see what needed to happen in the background. <laughs> Wow. Wow. That's a big move. Thank you for being flexible. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, So, so as you were saying uh, about being around three-year-old and and a five-year-old, when my son was three and he, he would have tantrums a lot and we would go through this, um, this little ritual that, uh, that was a practice that we would do and he'd, he'd have a tantrum and I just invite saying would you like me to tell the people tell you the people who love you and he kind of nod because it was kind of a little game that we played and I said come here mm-hmm. and he'd sit in my lap and I'd say mommy loves you and daddy loves you and grandma loves you and Aunt Susan loves you, and on and on. He just kind of melt in very short order. And it really showed me the power of love and kindness to calm down and, uh, and bring, back, bring us back to ourselves from a dysregulated space. We could do that for ourselves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that trick, uh, both with with my little ones and with myself uh, and try to bring myself down from some of the, the stressful levels that I'm, I've been at again with the, with the move that I, <laughs> it was, uh, that, that, that practice in and of itself, it truly did beforehand before we started recording. I was uh, a little uh, tense, not just to, because of the recording, but everything else that's going on in life. And that, that did help in, in the here and now um, people ask whether meditation and mindfulness, help in the here and now and there is a cumulative effect to practicing regularly but there is also an immediate effect and that i definitely felt right then um i want to get into the your your background as far as founding the uh, awakening joy course Mm. and the spirit rock meditation center Mm. um one what inspired you to to start both of those, and then how did those um, unfold? Mm-hmm. Okay, a small question. <laughs> <laughs> Last forty years of my life. Um, you got two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll talk. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, well, with Spirit Rock, when I was introduced to the meditation, and I felt like I had come home, and I just. Uh, found what I was looking for and found uh, a way uh, that that practice was going to really make a difference. And I just went for it. Like I said, I had a fair, a, a fair amount of internal suffering and I did lots of retreats, which is a very special kind of environment. If you can get away, it's a, it's a transformative process, the retreats that we do at Spirit Rock. And these days we do online retreats uh, because of the current situation uh, that people can do from anywhere. Um, But I did a lot of retreats and took a look at my mind and my heart and trained and and benefited. And um, I just wanted to 
turn the world onto it. I'm, I have the kind of personality if I, you know, see a good movie or read a good book, you know, I, I have to share it with everyone. You can't believe <laughs> this is so good. Oh, I just, it's just how I'm wired up. Which um, reminds me, I, I want to know which Netflix series you, mm, you made, I, or maybe you can keep that secret and just email. No, me. no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I should get a commission uh, every night after we watch the news and kind of absorb and rant consciously. <laughs> we, my wife and I, watch um, an episode of this wacky Australian comedy. Everything. It's not just a comedy called Offspring. Uh, okay. That. It, it, it's and the, the actress you can't help falling in love with her she won the best actress six years in a row in uh in in australia so we, we settled back with that okay that's this is a good healthy way to distract and and bring us back Sorry, I interrupted uh, your flow there <laughs> not at all i love turning people on to, like i said uh so i wanted to um I just wanted people to come and experience what I had experienced. And I managed a lot for my main teachers, Joseph Goldstein and Jack Cornfield, uh, two of the main teachers in this practice. And I just wanted everybody to come and hear what I had heard. And so I, I somehow said, I'll, I'll organize retreats for you. And I, and I did that for a number of years. And then I, I was a school teacher um, for many years. So the teaching gene is kind of in me. Um, and, uh, and then I said, I wanna, I wanna share this stuff. And with the blessings of my teachers, Joseph Goldstein and Ram Das, and they said, yeah, go ahead. This will be a good thing for you to do. So I, did a lot of teaching. Um, and then when Jack Cornfield came out, he was living on the East Coast and I was here in California. And when he, he was moving out around 1983 or so, um, and he said, I'm coming out to California. Let's build community and a center. And I said, okay, you're on. Nice. And, um, and Sylvia Borstein and a few other, uh, a few others. My wife was very much involved, and we looked for a lot of pieces of land for a number of years. And Jack said, "Well, I'd like something close to the city, but out in the country, maybe in Marin." And we said, "Dream on, Jack, a, a piece <laughs> of land that in Marin." And then the Nature Conservancy approached one of our uh, our circle and said, um, we have a piece of property uh, that we, we've been bequeathed that uh, we don't want developed. We don't want condos or shopping centers. We want it to be preserved in mostly its pristine state. And we want to find the right steward for the land. It's sacred um, Native American uh, Indian land. Uh, and with a big rock and a tree growing out of it. That's why it was called Spirit Rock long before we were there. Wow. And, uh, oh, by the way, the money that, that, is, that goes to the purchase will go to preserve rainforests in South America. Would you be interested? <laughs> 400 acres, 412 acres of land, as close as you could get to... Um, civilization, Fairfax and San Anselmo, if you know Marin, um, but over the hill in Woodacre. And uh, it cost uh, a million dollars for 400 acres. We paid cash and got it for $900,000. Wow. And, and the, 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 um, uh, the county was very grateful because we promised not to build, and we ceded a lot of the land to what was called uh, Open Space Marin Agricultural Land Trust. And we said, this will never be, we'll just use a certain portion of it for our buildings, but we are committed to keeping it in its natural uh, environment. And that was how Spirit Rock was born. We found the land, the land in 86 and started having activities there 88. Wow. 
Yeah. That's uh, that's incredible. It seems like all the stars aligned, and there was definitely a, a higher uh, purpose there involved, or a higher mm-hmm. being, whatever you believe in. <laughs> it, it was clear we weren't writing the script. Uh, <laughs> we just were in the right place at the right time, and the universe said, "This is a good way to use this land." That's fantastic. Ever since, and then and then. A few years later, Awakening Joy, that course came on once the, the internet and, and t- teaching online became a thing. Uh, is, that, mm-hmm. is that how, uh, it's, it's all online, it, correct? It's, uh, it's live in Berkeley and we okay. record the, the classes and then people see it online. It actually started um, not online, just a small group in my, uh, in my house and a friend's house. Um, What happened with that was, um, as perhaps uh, you know, or if if you look at Spirit Rock, the meditation, the mindfulness meditation really comes out of um, Buddhist philosophy. You don't have to be a Buddhist to do it. The Buddha did not teach Buddhism, but he said, this is a way to find inner peace. And he has a very uh, beautiful set of teachings that, and the, the invitation is just come and see for yourself, see what works. You don't have to believe anything. And for me, it was, uh, um, it was uh, coming home. It was a revelation because everything besides the meditation, everything that, he, that was said makes sense. But there can be an emphasis at times to suffering in Buddhism. The, the Four Noble Truths are their suffering in life. Not that all of life is suffering, but there's suffering in life. And, and uh, it's it said that the more you're willing to face suffering, the more you can um, learn to come to the end of suffering. But there's suffering in life. There's a cause of suffering, wanting things to be a certain way when, when they're not or wanting them to stay cause of suffering, attachment. There's a possibility of the end of suffering, and there's a path leading to the end of suffering, a kind of prescription for living. Um, And it's fabulous teaching, but there's a lot of emphasis on suffering. And one can go overboard in that. Uh, And in fact, um, I, although I was on a long honeymoon period that I found what I was looking for at some point, I became very serious about my meditation practice. Dead serious, emphasis on the dead. <laughs> and I lost my joy actually for some time. And, I, and at some point I realized this couldn't be, the Buddha was called the happy one. And the, the Dalai Lama starts out his beautiful book, The Art of Happiness, The purpose of life is to be happy, which is a beautiful line because when we can find our own happiness, then everyone benefits from not obstructing all of our beautiful qualities. So there was all this talk about happiness. And I said, well, why have I gotten so serious and somber? And where in these teachings can we apply the principles, not just in the, on the cushion, but in our life. So it's a lived experience. And what is happiness anyway? And that's when I looked more carefully at the teachings and found beautiful, profound teachings and practices that I packaged in a very accessible way, non-jargony way. And to see this, this is really the way for a true happiness. And then I decided, okay, I was, I was going to write about this. And then I figured, well, I might as well see if it works. So I, uh, I did my little package program and first started it with a couple of small groups of about 20 people each. And they said, this is really good. And then it just kept on growing and growing. Um, and then it was like 60 people and some people did it in, in, uh, uh, long distance. They said, Hey, could you send us the, the information and we'll do it there and people could do it long distance. And then somebody said, uh, Oh, you should have this on the internet. This is like 
2003, 2004. And I said, really? And they said, I'll help you with it. And then it grew to 100, 200, 500, 1,000, 2,000. Uh, and I, like with Spirit Rock, I wasn't, I wasn't writing the script. It was like, oh, I guess this <laughs> stuff works. And now I've been teaching it for what, 17 years now, 18 years. And uh, it's been a great joy that I could share these teachings and, and they, they do make a difference if you, if you practice them. Nice. And, and uh, you, you call it awakening joy instead of finding joy. Was mm. there, is there a purpose uh, or uh, is that for a, a deeper reason? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a principle that you know, if you're looking for joy outside of yourself, you can look a long time. <laughs> oh, maybe it's in that experience or maybe that object or maybe when I, when I find the right person, I'll find happiness or when I retire, then I'll be happy. And we're always looking outside what's going to do it for us. But really, the happiness that we came into this world with is right inside. And so it's discovering, it's awakening what's been in here all alone, all along. You see a, a baby who's fed and diapered and has a little bit of love. What do they do? They squeal with delight. Wow. That was each of us. We've just often forgotten or gotten so uh, caught up in our busyness that we've not, we've forgotten how to get in touch with it, except when something sparks us and there it is again, and we just feel grateful for being alive. Gratitude is a, a really good um, avenue to that. And there are ways that you can cultivate it, but that happiness is right inside of us. That's the good news that you don't have to look any place else. The other side of it is that nobody can do it for you, but you, you discover it within yourself. And there are ways to do that. Well, that naturally leads to my, my next uh, set of questions. Um, your, your book, Awakening Joy, 10 Steps That Will Put You on the Road to Real Happiness. Mm -hmm. um, it's said that that book is based off the course you mentioned a little bit earlier that you started writing and then developed the course. I'm sure they kind of fed off one another. They absolutely fed off each other. Uh, I, I was started writing. Then uh, I did started doing the course and then I was getting all of this, all of these testimonies and proof. And so that one fed into the other, and um and so the course begot the book the book begot the course <laughs> well i'm curious because uh, i've actually started reading the book myself can mm -hmm. someone read the book and get everything that's taught in the course or is the or is the book more kind of an appetizer for the larger uh, oh course? no the 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 book itself can be i've received many many um notes of gratitude that the book had a profound effect and again i i pinch myself i don't know how that happened i have a very good co-writer shoshana alexander who's kind of who's brilliant also and and um and so i can't take full credit i can't even take any credit because it's <laughs> kind of like coming coming through the conduit but, but the book can be um, a very powerful um, support. But the key is this, and this is what the course can afford uh, that can support in that process. It's more than just reading and having good ideas and concepts. It's all about practicing. And so if you read it, and there's lots of exercises and, and, uh, and reflections and things to actually put into practice. If you do that, you'll probably notice some real benefit. Some people have said that it, 
it's had a profound effect on their life. But the course, which you can do without the book as well, because uh, although the book is a great um, guide for it, uh, the course where I have videos and audio and, um, and I send out practice letters and people are doing it together from like the end of January, beginning of February through mid-June over, uh, over those months. Every other week, there's a new theme. And if you're doing it either with a friend or in a group or just by yourself, if you're doing it, it works. What can I say? And it's not that I'm taking credit for it. These practices work. So if you read the book and you're putting them into practice, then uh, that can have a very, very beneficial effect. Yeah, actually, again, that, that leads naturally to my next question. In the book, you mentioned that doing an activity repetitively changes the structure of your brain However, even just imagining the same activity has an impact on the neural structure. So you're saying that by simply, sim simply is probably the wrong word, but uh, you're saying that by simply imagining change, you can actually bring forth change in your brain. Oh yeah, it's been proven. I mean, that's what athletes do these days all the time. And uh, one of the uh, one of the great success stories is uh, Phil Jackson with uh, Chicago Bulls yeah. and then with the Lakers and, and Kobe and, and all. Michael Jordan was the best mindfulness student of all. And there was a mindfulness teacher, this fellow George Mumford, who's written a book on uh, mindfulness to uh, and athletes. And he would train uh, athletes to just imagine their making their shot or they're right. doing their move. And uh, it's been shown that, that the brain responds even to just the imagination, uh, the same way that uh, there are these studies where a, a, a pianist um, can just practice in their mind for a number of hours uh, and they will improve if they're just practicing their 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 scales and their, uh, you know, their, their pieces in their mind. But when you put it into practice and your body's involved, it's that much more profound. And it's all about rewiring your brain uh, as the, the famous neuroscience um, axiom goes, neurons that fire together, wire together. Right. And the more you practice a certain thing, just like practicing any habit, the more it becomes your default. So this is practicing habits of well-being that can start to shift from fear and confusion towards centeredness and peace and kindness, both to yourself and to others. Love it. Yeah, I mean, that seems simple enough. So hopefully our listeners, if they walk away from this with nothing else, they can at least start imagining and uh, going through that, uh, those activities in their mind. Hopefully they walk so, away with more. <laughs> and here, here's, it, it, I don't know how much we'll, we'll get into the principles, but here's the main principle for awakening joy. Okay. We are conditioned to look for what's wrong, what needs fixing. We can be very vigilant. If we're stressed, it's even more likely that we'll be vigilant and, and notice what's wrong. The mind gets contracted. There's this little almond-shaped cluster of neurons in the brain called the amygdala that scans the horizon for what's wrong. And it's a good thing. It's, it keeps us, it's been a survival mechanism. Right. But we tend to see what's wrong, as my, my friend Rick Hansen, a uh, neuroscience expert, uh, puts it. He says, our brains are like Teflon for positive experiences and Velcro for negative experiences. So it takes practice to start looking for the good, 
to look for the good inside, look for the good outside, look for the good in others, look for the good in life, not to deny and be naive with the, the troubles in this world, but we will find what we look for because our brains have what's called a confirmation bias. And neuroscience has shown this time and again, you can just Google confirmation bias. If you look for how everyone's going to disappoint you or this world is unsafe, and sometimes it is unsafe and sometimes people do disappoint you. But if, you, if that's the lens that you're looking through, your brain will notice what confirms that hypothesis and actually miss all the times that that's not so. And so what you look for, you'll find. And if you start to look for the goodness in people, that they really want to feel loved and if they're, if they're treated well, their goodness shines or that there's, it's amazing to be alive instead of, oh, it's a drag to be alive. If you start looking through that lens, your brain will actually start confirming that, will notice that. And then the added piece, not only to look for the good, but once you have a moment of, of uplift, don't miss it. Now by that, I mean, it's one thing to know, hmm, feeling, feeling good right now. Okay, what's, what's the mm-hmm. next thing I've got to do? Right. It's a very different thing, and this is where mindfulness comes in, to not only know you're feeling good, but to know, oh, this is what it feels like to feel good. And if you just spend a few seconds, Rick Hansen has this formula, he says, if you're in a, in a state, in an uplifting moment, and you are, um, uh, you're feeling an experience of well-being, if you spend 15 seconds, this is a little formula you can play with, 15 seconds to really feel it, what it feels like in your body, and you do that six times in a day, that I know that's 90 seconds of well-being if you can stand it, and you do that over a two-week period, you will notice a shift in your whole level of well-being. One, because you're starting to develop neural pathways that notice the good, and two, you're starting to get into the habit of looking for it and not missing it. So if people watching this come away with anything, it's when, they, when life has given you a moment of grace, you know, your child comes up and gives you a hug, or your, uh, you're feeling just a moment of gratitude, stay with it. You don't have to make a big show and say, excuse me, I have to take 15 <laughs> But just kind of turn your awareness in and let it register inside in your body so it's a, an embodied experience rather than just a thought. And you'll start to shift. And that's what the... The course is about taking 10 different states that create well-being and being with them when they're here. Yeah, a couple of things there. Um, (laughs) First off, I I interviewed uh, Richard Miller yesterday and uh, and we spoke about a similar thing in that some of the veterans that have used iRest, that that was the first time that they started with what was right in their lives mm-hmm. and then use that as a platform to continue on with uh, healing. Whereas mm-hmm. a lot of the other protocols uh, they had used or modalities that they'd used started with what they'd lost in their lives, what was mm-hmm. broken, and then, and then try to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then Rick Hansen's coming on uh, next week. So, uh, oh, good, uh, you got all yeah, my buddies uh, there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and that <laughs> once again leads mm-hmm. to my next uh, set of questions. Is is one of our founders, uh, Lee Klinger Lesser? She introduced us, um, and I'm very thankful that she has introduced me to yourself and Rick and Richard uh, and and some others. Fantastic. Uh, uh, practitioners and teachers in the mindfulness arena. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I want to ask, how did you get to know Lee? Um, we're in a group together that Rick put us, uh, that, that Rick gathered a whole lot of his friends, including Richard and, and others. Uh, it's called the Neurodharma Group. We've been meeting for mm, 10 years or so. Um, and, um, and we're all either mm, neuroscientists like Rick, um, teachers like Richard, myself, psychologists. Um, and uh, so it's this neurodharma. Rick, just, Rick Hansen just came out with a book called Neurodharma. Yeah. So that, that'll, <laughs> that'll promote the, <laughs> the word. But we've been meeting and inspiring each other with with our work. So uh, it's been really a joy to to get to know Lee and her yes. husband Mark too. Fantastic! I'd uh, love to be a fly on the wall uh, at the next meeting and just hear the discussion and the shared wisdom and knowledge uh, in in that room. So I'm very glad that she uh, did introduce us as as this has been a great interview so far. And I'll I'll start to wrap it up with just the last couple of questions. Okay. Um, you've got the book, you've got the Art of Joy course, uh, you've got uh, everything else that you've got going on. What's next for you? Mm, what's next for me? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I've always, as, as I've shared my, uh, my story, um, just kind of seemingly been in the right place at the right time or been able to sense what feels like the right thing. At my, my teacher, mentor Ramdas uh, writes in, in Be Here Now, he says, the next message you hear will be the next message you hear. So I just hear what wants to, how does life want to use me next? So, um, I'm pretty involved in uh, right now um, climate. I have been for some time and doing what I can to make sure that we're getting, we're going in the right direction because we're at a crossroads at this point. We're at a crucial juncture in the human experiment. And depending on what, what happens in this next year, we will either be um, going down um, a road to self-destruction or starting to wake up. So I do whatever I can to help us wake up and to make, make sure what I can to um, make sure that we're going in the right direction and uh, supporting others and doing that. Um, I'm also... Um, Involved in, right now we're going through this uh, pandemic and um, there was a kind of sense of, well, what can we do? I mentioned at the very beginning, we're in the middle of this project where we're, um, we, we got a whole lot of masks, surgical masks that were given to us uh, by this Chinese friend who had access to them in, in, in China. And we brought them to a rescue mission, uh, the food pantry, and we brought them to uh, the, the county uh, who was going to distribute, who was distributing them to firefighters and nursing homes and things like that. And while we were there, we saw in the warehouse pallets of these huge boxes that were sitting there. And I kept on hearing about the dire need for protection. And I, I couldn't get it out of my head, so I called the next day and I said, what are in all those boxes? And it turns out they are N95 masks that are not usable because the elastic has worn out. The government sent around the country, they have 400,000 N95 masks that were outdated. And I thought to my, they were in perfect condition except for the elastic. And I thought, well, can't that be replaced? So I actually, I Googled defective N95 masks and lo and behold, there was this church in Southern 
California, San Diego, um, that was repairing 300,000 of the same kind of masks. And they gave us the download. This is how you can repair them. And we went back to the county and we said, if you give us masks, they're just sitting there and we can repair them, then we can send them out. How would that be? And they said, sounds like a good idea. So we have, we've repaired uh, 16,000 so far. We have a hundred or more people working on this. Give us some more and turning their helplessness into helpers high. You get a high when you feel sure. like you're doing something good and they're going out to nursing homes and, and, uh, and food pantries and firefighters and all. And we're working with the county now. So that's, we have a whole factory of, uh, or a warehouse, I should say, of boxes that are ready to be repaired and then boxes that are ready to, to go out. And that, that's what we've been doing for the, for the last- That is fantastic. Uh, Good for you. Well, thank you for doing that. Uh, wow, that's, a, that's an incredible story. I and I want, to, I want to say there might be where there are, there was down in San Diego, there might be around the country. So if people are, are hearing, you might go to your county and say, do you have any outdated N95 masks that we could repair? And I wouldn't be surprised if they say, oh yeah, we've got a, a few hundred thousand. So we'd love to see that happen wow. all over yeah <laughs> definitely definitely that's amazing what a story well um yeah i mean i don't even know how to end after that <laughs> so how about we uh we wrap it up with um anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't spoken about mm -hmm. well we didn't get to do any meditation <laughs> uh if do we have one minute sure Sure. Okay. Definitely. So you don't have to do anything special. Uh, just invite everyone. You know, it's a variation, not the not the compassion practice, but just to go inside for a moment and feel your own goodness. There's a place in you that has something to offer the world, and just delight in that for a moment. And know that life can offer you the opportunity to do that if you just listen and tune into what gifts you have to give to this world. And maybe envision contributing in some way, even if it's just reaching out to your loved ones and letting you know that, let them know that you love them. and healing yourself to the fullest extent so that your gifts can really be shown. And we do that with support of our friends. Just imagine getting in touch with all your gifts and sharing them. And then offering that up as a, as a vision. May I be used well in this life and share my love well and my caring and my wisdom and my strength so I can help awaken that in others. Thank you for that. Uh, again, feeling pretty relaxed mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and more so I feel good about what it is we've done here today in, in sharing your message and, uh, hopefully people receive that and they feel good about themselves and where they are. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Well, really James, good to be with you, John. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us today. If, if listeners wanted to reach out to find out more about your course or about you in particular, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, my website is awakeningjoy.info, but you could probably just Google awakening joy and it'll, it'll be there. <laughs> Great. Great. I'll make sure that that's shared in the show notes. 
James, again, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to walk out of this much more relaxed than I came into it. Not that I was nervous, but still, it's just a, it's just a better sense coming out of it than I, than I came in. So thank you for that. And thank you again for, for what you're doing uh, every day to, to really make this life and this planet uh, a better place. So thank you for everything. My pleasure. And until we speak again, stay safe and stay healthy. For our listeners and viewers, thank you again for listening to or watching our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We too are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. If you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button here on the podcast or here on YouTube. Leave us a comment, a review, a like, and again, share it with anyone you feel needs to hear our message. And remember, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.